Hi, I'm Charlie Bird. In the first two episodes of this podcast series, Ransom 79, I told you of this incredible story which has never been revealed before. An attempt to extort £5 million from the state back in 1979. The gang warned that if the money, which in today's equivalence is around €30 million, was not paid, they would introduce the deadly foot and mouth disease into the country. This incredible story has an uncanny resonance to the recent attempt by the Russian hackers to extort money from the HSE. The man who has brought this story to us is the former boss of the Garda Fraud Squad, Four Goals, Willie McGee. So now we take up the story in early 1980. Kevin Cassidy, the private secretary to the Minister for Agriculture, who first received the ransom letter in late August 79, tells me of his final memory of the saga. The outcome for me was several months later into the early part of uh, 1980 and I can't again gauge when it happened. I came in one morning, probably after the weekend, and the wire was gone. The wire was gone. Because that wire was, it was, it was kind of, it was really stupid for something that we're trying to keep undercover. That corridor was a public corridor and was an access point from one end of the um, west block of the building to the east block where the canteen in the department was on the seventh floor. And scores of people walked that corridor every day. And friends of mine used to regularly ask, what's that wire coming out of your office, Kevin? What, what's going on? What is that about? And I just totally dismissed and said, oh, the telephone fellas were doing some tests on the phone lines or something, I can't remember. But that was my, that was the golden moment when I knew, oh, this must all be, be finished. But nobody would have come to tell me it's over. And then what appears to be one final and remarkable ad to the gang placed in the back of the Irish Times. 16th of February 1980. Prepared to conclude contract. Transporter concerned at risk of delivery. Please demonstrate goodwill for his reassurance. Tom Smith. And then there were two final letters from the gang. Letter 6. Received 19th of February 1980. Dear Mr Cassidy, Thank you for your reply in the Irish Times, Saturday the 16th of February. We too will be pleased to conclude this business as speedily as possible. We can assure you and your driver that we have no intention whatsoever of injuring or harming him in any way. The weapon which we have threatened you with, namely spreading this disease, is the only one which we intend using. However, if it becomes obvious to us that we are being walked into a trap, we will simply call off the agreed arrangements and revert to what we stated in a previous letter. In order for us to carry out our plans, it will be necessary for your driver to comply exactly with all our instructions. When we require your driver to stop, a car will approach his car from behind. Our pickup car will switch on and off its headlights three times. It will then brake to a halt with its headlights switched off. 
On this happening, your driver will immediately stop his car, leaving the engine running and the headlights switched fully on. He will open the passenger door and dump the case from the front seat onto the grass verge on the left-hand side of the road. He will immediately close the passenger door and continue on his route given. He will still be observed for at least 30 minutes to give our driver time to complete his task. Under no circumstances is he to stop before these 30 minutes are up. After 30 minutes, he is free from any given instructions. Please bear in mind that while it is easy for you to arrange to have our pickup driver captured, and he will not even resist, we will still carry out our threat and spread this disease if he does not answer our telephone calls. He will be required to answer four timed telephone calls at four different points. If he does not answer these calls, we shall, after making certain that he has been apprehended, start our plans to spread this disease. Please believe us when we say that our pickup driver will know nothing of our plans for implementing this disease. He has not taken part in any of the arrangements. This had been deliberate. While he will be able to give you our identities, it will be too late for you to stop us and our letters to the press. We shall make no further threats to you, nor shall we attempt to use violence of any type to get this money. The money shall be paid before the 15th of March in the manner requested. You will receive one week's notice of when we require the money to be paid and you will be required to reply in the Irish Times to that letter. Tom Smith Letter 7 Received 1st of March 1980 Dear Mr Cassidy, This is our final letter to you. We would like you to remain in your office at Kildare Street from 3.45pm until 4.30pm on Saturday next, 8th of March. This is the date on which we require the money to be paid. The reason for this is so we can call off the arrangements if we foresee any difficulties. You have received in previous letters all our instructions so please carry them out as outlined. On Friday, the 7th of March, please confirm in the Irish Times that our arrangement stands. Tom Smith So on the, in the letter date, dated the 6th of February 1980, this gang, first of all, they thank you for displaying the car yeah. the requested. They're being very polite. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Cassidy. What? Thanks, Mr. Cassidy. Thank you for displaying yeah. the car as requested outside the Gresham Hotel on Saturday, the 2nd of February. You will receive one week's notice of the date in which we require the money to be paid. On that date, we require the money to be paid at 4 p.m. The prepared car will once again park outside the Gresham Hotel and remain there with the driver and money inside the car. At 4.20, the car will leave and proceed along O'Connor Street via College Green, James Street to Newlands Cross. It will then park at a lay-by at the entrance to the Dublin Naistuil Carriageway and will remain there exactly until 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, it will proceed in the direction of Nace. 
to Kilcullen, Atai, Castle Comer, Kilkenny, Waterford, New Ross, Enniscorthy, Arklow, Wicklow, Bray, and finally back to Dublin. So tell me what do you think was going on then? And uh, tell me the other conditions which you can remember about what was to happen. Well, I, rem- I remember that the car was supposed to travel at 45 miles per hour, exactly, and that the driver of the car was to um, bring a petrol container with them because they obviously had done the dry run themselves and found that a Mini wouldn't drive on a full tank of petrol from O'Connell Street in Dublin to back to Dublin again without having to stop and refuel. So that was the demand that they made that the driver of the car bring petrol in a tank and stop stop at a particular place and refuel the car. Um, the car driven at 45 miles per hour all the way from all around, they would be able to pinpoint the exact location of the car at a particular time that the Mini should pass at a particular point, be it in Carlow or be it in Waterford or Kilkenny, um, so they, they could observe it. Um, so do you think that they maybe had done a run themselves well, around this oh, there's journey? No, there's no doubt they did, and they, they did it at 45 miles an hour too to, to make sure that they'd have the exact location of the Mini at a particular time. So that's why the operation was taken very seriously, because of that, because of the 45 miles per hour. And uh, the, the exact instructions that they gave us, gave, well, agriculture to, to comply with. Um, the, um, so, so do you remember the build-up to that day? I do indeed, yeah. Tell me about it. We, we had, well, before, we had a debrief beforehand, naturally, and uh, um, we had six cars supplied, and, and each, each car was driven by a member of the fraud squad and we were accompanied by a member from a special branch who was armed. Now at that time the, the fraud squad didn't, didn't carry firearms and uh, so therefore we were handed a, a weapon just to have a weapon with us in case of a shootout um, of any description in the event of, of, of the... The gang. The gang and yeah. taking, taking the suitcase from the, from the Mini. Because the Mini was given, or the driver of the Mini was given particular instructions um, where to stop and refuel um, and if, if, if they wanted the suitcase with, with the alleged money in it, that they would flash them from behind three times, the Mini would pull in, open the passenger door and push out the suitcase out the passenger side onto the, onto the street. And it was, it was, we were concerned, why would they do that in the middle of nowhere? So we reckoned that the only place that would be of benefit to them would be on a bridge, and we, we would have two bridges to, to, uh, to pass, and that would be Washford and New Ross. And uh, with that in mind, somebody came up with the, with the brainwave that if they, if they pushed out the suitcase on the bridge, somebody walking along would take the suitcase, lift it over the, the bridge, throw it into the river, into the water below. And uh, if there was a speedboat waiting, the suitcase and the money would be gone out, out in the harbour and disappear in, 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 in minutes. And in order to, to protect that side of, of, of a possible uh, take over, um, we contacted the army. I know that the senior Gardaí and the senior army people met and the two, two um, Navy, Navy vessels were, were detailed to cover New Ross and, and, and Waterford. You tell me that you had six unmarked unmarked cars, cars yeah, with on the job. a member of the fraud squad armed and a special branch man and with a newsy submachine gun. gun. That's correct, yeah. And these were detailed for a very elaborate following of this white mini around this long journey around the southeast and That's back correct, up to yeah. Dublin. Willie, had you ever in your life ever come across anything like this in your whole life? Never, never. 
it was it was a it was a um, monstrous operation really when you think of it and uh, it was if these fellows had gone to such such, such um, um, trouble to yeah. such lengths to to get five million it was it was decided that um, in the handover that there would be a shootout that if 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 there was uh, any bit of uh, obstruction or resistance that there would be a shootout so therefore it was taken seriously and that's why we were well armed. But Willie, um, you were you were detailed in that day. Did you drive one of the cars? I drove one of the cars, yes. And you had a gun. I had a gun. I was handed a gun, and I had never fired a, a, a gun before. It was a, a Smith and Weston snub nose, thirty eight. I remember it well. And is the first time you ever? Uh, the first time I had handled a gun. Well, I I I done some little bit of training into yeah. more firing firearms, um, revolvers, but not not not, the, not operational. Uh, not operational. No, just practice, but. And I was this Midland Western snub nose was was a it's a tough um, okay piece of uh, machinery to to operate because I I was subsequently armed when when um, with that particular weapon. Were you scared by the way? No, I wasn't. Be honest now. No, I wasn't. You're, no. You're, what age are you now, Willie? <laughs> I'm seventy four now, and I was what forty. I was in my early thirties. I wasn't scared. No. No, not that day. No. You were going around. You didn't know what was going to happen. Didn't know what was going to happen, no. But um, and sorry, the one other thing you spoke because this is most fascinating. There was meant to be five million in the car. There was also a, a drum of whether it was five liters or five gallons. It was a big drum of petrol. That's correct, yeah. In this car, mm-hmm. and I'm told from the various exchanges. At one stage, they upped the ante to nearly ten million. They asked for nearly ten million. Yeah. Apparently, at one stage, if you didn't deliver, they were going to. Up. Uh, but we're talking about we're talking about telephone numbers. I mean, in today's money, Willie, we're talking about what maybe thirty million dollars. Uh, more, yeah, yeah, uh, rough, roughly around thirty million dollars is right. Yeah, in today's money, yeah. And we we know what the these recent cyber attackers on the state they were demanding in a sense the same amount of money so what was going on back in 79 and 80 it was just a huge astronomical amount of even to try and assemble uh, five million in pounds and deutschmarks and swiss francs would have been amazing wouldn't it it would be amazing, I see, and I'd say it would it would uh, be hard enough to to fit all that money demanded into a large suitcase. They 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 knew exactly the size of the suitcase they wanted. So um, I remember handing money afterwards that was obtained from the robbery in Heathrow Airport, and it was a large suitcase, and the weight of it we could hardly lift it. Right. You know, so therefore, in in this case, uh, the five million would would. Uh, would be very heavy and it wouldn't be possible to lift it over the bridge in Euros or Watford. And probably wouldn't be lifted by one person. Wouldn't would be it? lifted by one person, exactly, yes. So we're coming now to a little bit towards the end of this part of the story. The story. So a man called Pat was designated to drive the car. That's correct. Yes, we, we we were looked for a volunteer, and knowing the danger of the of the operation, and knowing the dangerous, uh, the most dangerous part would be the driving the mini, and uh, it would take somebody with a certain amount of guts and bravery to to volunteer to drive the mini. I wasn't certainly volunteering, and neither was any of my colleagues. Were they not? No. No. Um, so um, Pat Pat who volunteered to drive the mini was was 
it took a, a very courageous step for him to do that. And believe it or not, we have now tracked down the undercover Garda driver of the white mini car, who in his whole career has never ever spoken publicly about his secret operations before. So today we've travelled out of Dublin and we're going to meet one, somebody who had, well, more than a walk-on part in this incredible story. This was the undercover policeman who drove the white mini on the instructions of the um, the gang that um, this mini was to be driven out of Dublin on a Friday night, driven out through uh, Ratcool along what I presume the nice dual carriageway, all the way down through Kilkenny in through Waterford, over the bridge in Waterford, and then up to New Ross, and from New Ross uh, on to uh, Arklow, then back to Wicklow, and then to Dublin again. So Willie has told us that this uh, driver, this undercover driver who had a, a gun strapped to his leg, um, didn't really know what was going on. Um, but we're going to talk to him today. But this man, this person, uh, does not want to be identified. He's no longer, he's well retired from the, from the guards. Um, uh, but he is prepared to tell me this incredible story of this journey in which he drove a mini car uh, all around, well, basically half around Ireland at the instructions of this gang and um, it was apparently a remarkable journey and we are going to meet this man today uh, just to get his understanding of what it was like for him and he was going to cross he probably didn't realise it he probably wasn't told that the um, the fraud squad and the guards felt that the uh, the gang might stop him on the bridge in over uh, in Waterford, and as we've said before, they had two plainclothes policemen dressed as women, and they had two navy ships uh, down below. This is how far they were going uh, on this particular day. So the man we're meeting uh, now in a short period is the undercover driver of the Mini in this most remarkable, remarkable journey. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. 
To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. So I'm sitting in the car with the undercover driver of that car. Pat, how are you, by the way? Very well, thank you, Charlie. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Wearing the ears well. When I rang you, were you taken aback that somebody would be asking you about this story? I was very much so, and I had actually forgotten about it. You forgot? I had forgotten about it. I didn't remember the, of all the cases down. I had forgotten one. Now we're not going to go in, and this is listen. You you've been an undercover policeman for a long time, yeah. So yeah, yeah. You've done years. a lot of strange things. Yes. Yeah? Does this stand out as being strange? It was, I suppose, it was an unusual one, you know. Yeah. But let me see. There were others. There were others, <laughs> right. <laughs> but you were driving a white Mini. Yes, a white Mini Minor. Yeah, white Mini Minor. Yeah. And you had to drive out of Dublin. Apparently you left from the Gresham Hotel. Left from the Gresham Hotel. Drove down through Kilkenny, down to Waterford. And back up to New Ross. And in New Ross, the, the instructions from the people at the time where I had to carry a drum of five gallon drum petrol. Five gallon drum. drum of petrol. They knew that the mini miner wouldn't make it on a full tank. Right. And I was to stop on the bridge in New Ross and uh, fuel the car yeah. with the five gallons. And you were on your own in this car? Yeah. Did you know, Pat, what was going on? Had you been briefed about this story? Did you know, were you brought into the loop why you were take, undertaking this incredible journey around half of Ireland. And you had to drive it, I'm told, at 45 miles an hour. That's Do you remember right, that? That's right, yeah. When you say it now, it was, yeah. At 45 miles an hour. No, I knew what was going on. I, I was briefed on it. They needed someone to drive the car. Drive the car. I drive the car and do it. And I was briefed on that much of it. And I was aware of what was going on. Would you have been worried? I mean, would you worry about your own safety doing something like that? You get used to jobs like that. You can't worry the whole time, Charlie. You can't. You, but you be careful. Were you a young uh, detective? I was. Then? I was a young detective. I a young rookie. A young rookie. I was supposed to was late twenties, thirty years of age. Right. Fellow with long hair, didn't look like a policeman. You had long and <laughs> didn't look like a policeman. <laughs> was this exciting then? Ah, it was different. It was away from the normal policing of the day. Okay, now tell me, because we're told that you carried a gun that it was strapped to your your leg. That's right, on a leg holster, yeah. On a leg holster. Yeah, and they feared that um, figured that I more than likely would be frisked, and they would have got that. Right. So I carried a lady's handbag. <laughs> in my boxers or in my jocks. You did what is <laughs> a lady's handbag gun. A lady's handbag gun. gun. Yeah, that was the backup. In your in your jocks. <laughs> in my jocks. In your yeah. underwear. In, in my your underwear. underpants. This was the only other place to carry it. Mother <laughs> so, of God. Needless to say, I was very careful about how I sat in the mini minor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! And can you? Can you remember the journey itself? I mean, did you, were you watching out? Because the word was that you were going to be, some car was going to approach you, flash you, and then yes. you were to stop. And it could have happened any place in the journey, in a sense. Anyhow, yeah, I was quite aware. And 
as I noted every car I met nearly, you know. Did I, you? Sometimes you see suspect cars, several of them, they weren't, you know, yeah. it was never approached. And you sort of thought maybe this was going to happen at the bridge in New Ross because you were to do the petrol there, put extra petrol in. But did you also know what was happening at the bridge in Waterford? No. At the time, I didn't know what was happening at the bridge in Waterford. So you didn't but, know that uh, there were two Navy, Navy ships there? No, not, at the, not until after. Not until after? Not until after. And did you know, maybe I'll be telling you for the first time, but maybe you were told afterwards, that there was an undercover policeman dressed as a woman cycling backwards and forwards across yes, the bridge? Yes, there was, yeah. There was. I, I actually saw that undercover. Not a very, very good-looking woman, I must say. You saw <laughs> I did, yeah. I did. I oh, my God! I remember that, yeah. And then I had there was a surveillance unit car then follow me, right on the way down. I think I lost them a couple of times, or they lost me a couple of times too. I had these was your that was my backup. Your backup, yeah. And they changed apparently every so often. Oh, they would change every so often, yeah. Yeah. I think and then were, I may have got mixed up in the changeover at times. I had <laughs> there were times I had to slow down. <laughs> but you were meant to keep it forty-five miles. Yes, an hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not the most bizarre thing that you'd be told to travel at a speed. Yeah. Um, so obviously they had timed it, had they? They had apparently they had timed it, and they were also aware that the the mini miner wouldn't have made the journey in one tank of petrol at the time and they had timed it and I suppose by travelling at 45 mile an hour I would be at certain locations at certain times. Right. Yeah. And then, so nothing happened at the uh, at New Ross. Did you put the petrol in there? I put the petrol in the car and returned to Dublin via the coast road. But you did, apparently there was a car broken down. Do you remember that? Am, am I refreshing your memory? Because I'm told that you radioed to say there was a car up ahead with its, its back lamps fl flashing, but it turned out that it was only somebody who was broken down. Yeah, well, I can't recall that now, but... It wouldn't, say, it, it wouldn't No, no. And did you, I mean, did you have a radio? Were you in radio contact no, with you? No, no, no radio contact. No. None? None. You were on your own? Yes. And that's how we did things in those days. And you had, did you have this, a suitcase beside you? I had a suitcase on the, on the floor in the back. Good God. Mm -hmm. But there was no money in it? No, no. Did you look it? <laughs> I figured out what there was. It may not have returned. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an incredible story. Yeah. I mean, Pat, what's most remarkable about this is that this story has never been in the public domain. And remember, these extortionists were looking for the equipment. Five million in 1979 stroke 80 was a hell of an amount of money. A lot of money then. Yeah, and a lot of money. Apparently it's the equivalent of nearly 30 million now. Mm -hmm. So we have cyber people, attackers now, looking yeah. for nearly the equivalent yeah. in the state. Yeah. And back in 79 into 80, this was going on for nearly six months behind the scenes that this gang were trying to extort the guts now of nearly 30 million, maybe, dollars or whatever. But it, it was five at one stage, then went up to 10. Did you know, by the way, you're a, you're, you, you know about agriculture, don't you? Yes. 
Would you know what foot and mouth does to the country? Oh, indeed I would. What does it do? It would wipe out the beef industry in this country overnight. Overnight? Overnight, overnight. So this was really a serious threat? It was threat. serious, a very serious threat. A very serious threat. This wasn't just a run of the mill? Yeah, yeah. If foot and mouth here hit this country here, it would destroy the place overnight. Overnight. Yeah. Overnight. Do you remember, just out of curiosity, it happened in 2001? It did, yeah, and we did very well in this country to keep it yeah. away at the time, you know. Yeah. Even though it cost the country it did. 500 million. Is that what it cost, yeah, yeah at the time? Yeah. yeah, even though we. But you yeah. can remember, by the way, can you, the images of cattle being burned oh, in England? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it awful? It was, it was. And I remember here, in, was it 2000? all the sheep and cattle that were yeah. put down at the time, you know. Yeah. It was also... Too young then, it was just about 67. Yeah, 67, yeah. I remember it in, uh, seeing it on the news of the papers say, in England yeah. at 67. Yeah. I'd admitted to Ireland at yeah. 67. Well, they had sealed off the border, yeah. and they had guards um, stationed on the border stopping mm -hmm. people from coming across. They cancelled GA matches in 67. Yeah. I'm not certain what else they did. Yeah. But um, anyway, it's, it's just a remarkable story that there you were. Uh, I'm, I'm, as I said, you, have you always been an undercover policeman? Uh, not always, not yeah. always. I've worked in other sections. Yeah, worked in other sections. Yeah. But in that, in that day, you, were, you weren't dressed in a uniform, oh, sure. certainly wasn't, no. They were my youthful days, the long hair and the chains. Did you have chains? <laughs> oh, yes. What type of chains? Oh, no. I remember one time a certain chief superintendent of the job met me. He didn't believe I was a policeman. He thought I was an informant. <laughs> and he spoke afterwards and he said, did you see the chain he was wearing? He says, and there was horseshoe nails hanging out of it. <laughs> But what I find amazing is, and you know, I, I appreciate you coming to chat to us today, that you actually had a second gun stuck down your... Down my jocks. Down your jocks. Yeah. By the way, it's... Um, uh, Willie says that you got a rash. Yes, from the, from the, the gun that was strapped onto my... on the leg holster. We had put it on. I didn't wear a holster. We were trying to conceal it as much as we could. Right. And I wore it with a bandage. With and a bandage? With a bandage, yeah, a wraparound bandage. And I got a slight rash from it, all right, I think. Right. Yeah. And by the way, when you got back to Dublin that night, did you have a drink? I have no doubt I did. <laughs> I can't remember now. <laughs> right, but you... Uh, so the last thing I would say, I mean, when you go out on a journey like that, I mean... I mean, I know it's your job, but do you fear that something could happen? Uh, not really. You just get on with the job, you get it done. But you're careful and you, I suppose, you note everything and see everything that's going on. You're very much alert. Yeah. Even though you might look relaxed or try and look relaxed. Yeah. I know, but you're just taking all in when you're at something like that. So you had sweaty armpits, did you? Ah, you would have from time to time. When you'd I won't say sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> if that was sweaty too. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a gun strapped there, it would be sweaty. <laughs> oh my God. Listen, I really appreciate it. Um, and listen, this is what's great. People don't realise that policemen do incredible jobs. 
and this was one of them that you did on that day. You you did your you were following orders, but you were taking risks because you didn't know. You had no idea what could happen. No. You were going. You were in a mini car for what maybe four or five hours, driving at forty-five miles an hour, putting petrol in it, and doing all these things. And you had two guns with you, and you had a, a suitcase stuffed, I assume, with newspapers, which was meant to have five million in it. Yeah. I mean, come on, Pat. This must be. I mean, it has to be a standout <laughs> moment. Yes, I know. It's just it was just another job, one of those jobs. The biggest, I suppose, the one thing I was always a fear of that if if I was approached and if there was a bit of trouble, did they take the bag? Uh, when they take the bag of money or the so-called money, <laughs> where they're going to drop a match into the car where there was five gallons of petrol, oh, that would be my biggest fear at the time, rather than being shot at. Of course, yeah, you had a five-gallon yeah. drum of petrol. Yeah. I had a very much, very much an explosive car. <laughs> and where was the, was that in the boot of the car? Was it? It was on the floor in the back seat. The floor in the uh, back seat. Back seat in, in the well, just at the back. And you had then you had the, the instructions uh, were that it was to be carried in the car. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that that's right. The uh, within the car, yeah. Right. So it's just something that would cross your mind. So on the bridge in Waterford, Pat says that he remembers when he was driving over it, he saw somebody on a bicycle. Tell me who that person was oh, and I, what was that person doing? Actually, um, one of the detectives in Waterford dressed up as, as a woman and uh, was cycling back and over the, across the bridge in, in, in Waterford as, as a cover in, in case there was, a, there was a assistance needed to, to Pat in, in, if Pat was accosted by them. Or, or if he identified anybody taking the suitcase, if the suitcase was, was turfed out that time, it may have been a local person. And the local detective dressed up as a woman. First time, first time ever that uh, he did such a thing. He did it of his own, his own volition. And, and, and um, it was just a funny part of the, the story as well, really, the fact that uh, a member, a senior member, uh, he was a senior member at the time. He has since passed away, but uh, dressed up as a woman and fully armed cycling across the bridge and water. I have to go back. So <laughs> what you're telling me is that on that evening, there's this detective dressed up in woman's clothes on a bicycle, fully armed, and he's driving backwards and cycling backwards and forwards on the, on the bridge in Waterford. Yeah, he's doing that to see is there any unusual activity around the place, maybe to see if somebody that he'd recognise as well, you know, but he, he didn't come up with anything of any value at the end of the day. Only that he was there to assist Pat if Pat had to stop and, and hand over the money. He was there to, to assist if there was a shootout or anything like that. This story becomes more incredible. So he goes over the bridge in Waterford, he goes to New Ross. Yeah. Does he do the petrol there in New Ross or where? Yes, he did, yeah. I think he did, yeah. Anyway, okay. uh, he did. He did actually. Yeah, I remember that because we we would be passing by every 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 one of the surveillance cars would have passed him by at that stage, and we would have been parked up in petrol stations or in in hotels or wherever just to let him pass by again. And we yeah. we knew through the intercar through the radios where exactly he was. Yeah. He, he kept. He us tells free. us that he had no radio in the car, but everybody else had radios. Well, Jeff was he had a radio because uh, sorry, yeah, he had a radio because he 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 called us when 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 he saw the. 
the car on the side of the road in Arklow. Okay, well then I'll go back. Okay, yeah, yeah. so okay, no, it's funny. Yeah. It's, um, okay, so tell me about what happens in Arklow. This is the first time maybe there's a bit of a scare, is there? Yeah, we had a bit of a scare in, around, around Arklow, I remember. Um, Pat was driving the Mini in front and I was actually driving the car directly behind. And uh, Pat echoed our radios, radios back to say, it looks like something happening in front. He, the car had stopped, there was a car stopped with the lights flashing and the bonnet was up and it had broken down. But Pat thought it was maybe a decoy that these people were going to have, uh, the action was going to happen here on and, and this road in, in Arklow. And with that, I, I remember taking out, taking out the gun in, in the event of, of, of necessity. You took out your gun? I took out my Smith & Weston. Where was it? In your shoulder? It was, I had a shoulder, I had a shoulder strap, yeah. And um, I remember taking it out and uh, if, if, if a shootout happened, I, was, I would have been of no value whatsoever to the, to the, to, to the force because um, I got a terrible shake. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be any good in, 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 a, in a country western situation. Your, your hand was shaking? My hand was shaking, I got a terrible shake. Um, I suppose with nerves. Um, more than anything else, in the event of anything of something happening, you know, it was a, we were we thought it was a confrontation, but it didn't happen. Lucky enough, so I would have been of no value to the special branch man if there was a shootout happening. And did your special branch man did he have his gun ready? He, he took the Aussie out all right, but I, he wasn't shaking. He took it. He took it. Took it in his own stride. He was. He would have been well trained for that purpose, whereas I wasn't. And Pat, that, at those moments. Were you scared? Were you worried? For your, were you married at the time? I was, yeah. I mean, be honest. Like we all, we all, I suppose, like in situations like that. You know, as a member of the guard, as a member of the police force, your your bravado, your 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 courage comes out in front, and and you try and protect um, your people, and and you don't think of of yourself at times. I'm sure, um, and at that, at that stage, you know, um, I was ready. I was ready to to give a dig out and try and intercept those people. But you don't, you don't think of, of, of consequences at all, really, when you, when you go into, into a competition like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened on that evening? We actually, not, nothing happened as, as, as expected, and uh, we just drifted back into, into Dublin, every one of us, and... Uh, we pulled up and parked up in the Garda headquarters in Phoenix Park and we went into the bar and had a few pints. And you never, ever got another letter again? No, that, that, that was the end of, of the... I, was, I don't think no other letter came then. No. President, no. 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 So, now I want to summarise. After all these years, you have kept this story to yourself. What do you think, at the time... And even today, what do you think was going on, or do you even know? I, I think it was uh, serious, and, and the, the, this, this guy that I, I spoke about that lived in Carla was, was capable of anything, and uh, he, he, would, he would go ahead with it. Now, that's, I'm looking back as, as, as a, a young operational member of the force at that time, and I feel that, that he would have, he would have uh, continued with it if, 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 if the push came to shove. I think I think it would have happened, and that's why it was taken seriously. The, the powers that be at the time, the the people in authority, were aware of his his um, carry on and aware of his conduct, and they 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 probably feared that he would carry it out, 
and that's why the operation went ahead. And behind the scenes, it was a major... This whole saga continued for almost six months. That's correct. Six from, whole months. From the end of August until, until the middle of March. That's correct. That's it, the middle of March. Six yeah. months, practically. And that um, this huge thing that was going on behind the scenes. Willie, this story never leaked out to anybody. It never leaked out. It's like, it's like the secret is... A, what is it, something of Fatima, the secrets of Fatima? Why? That's correct. At that particular time, it was feared that if anything, any, any um, mole in, in either the Gardaí or um, in agriculture would have leaked it to the press, that these people would go ahead and, and, and carry out their, their threat. Now, you had two suspects. Um, you said a barrister and a former member oh, Sarah, of Sarah. That's correct, Sarah. yeah. That's correct, yeah. Um, but, uh, why didn't you pick, arrest them? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you...? Uh, at that time, we had very little powers to, to arrest people, you know, under the legislation, because we were operating, in the Frost Code, we were operating under the Larceny Act of 1916, which was long gone by. Say that again, the Larceny, the Larceny Act. Act of 1916 and the Forgery Act of, of 1913. They were never, never changed or upgraded until the Criminal Justice Theft and Fraud Offences Act came into operation in 2001. And that gave us much, much uh, wider um, operational powers, powers yeah, to, yeah. To, to arrest So, them. in other words, you didn't have concrete evidence? And not, not having concrete evidence, we couldn't, um, we couldn't arrest them or bring them in for questioning. And uh, maybe at that time, the wherewithal or the, the, the drive to arrest a barrister wasn't, wasn't there either or take him in. And actually, the barrister in question, amazingly, was his father was a member of the Gardaí Shikana, and that barrister has since passed away at middle age. And uh, so has the suspect from County Carlow. Both of them have passed away, and both have passed away in middle age as well. But um, that barrister, actually, his father was, was a member of the force. And it, it, was, um, it would have been probably maybe embarrassing if, if, if a barrister was arrested and questioned at that time, and, and the authorities, I think, wouldn't have the, the drive to to take him in and, and, and arrest him for questioning. But as they say, we hadn't the powers anyway to do it. Willie, it's an incredible story. An incredible story. How have you lived with this in your head for so long? How do you just... Well, I, I've had it, I've had it. I, I mean, I was in the centre of the, of the operation from day one until, until the present day. And um, it was a story that... that um, that um, probably nobody else was familiar with from A to Z, and that's why I, I, I See, thought it was necessary to... to um, in a way, you're Tom Smith, aren't you? You're the one who placed <laughs> the ads. I am indeed. I was the alias Tom, otherwise known as Tom Smith for quite a while, for six months anyway. And do you think, by the way, just going back over, do you think the bosses in the Irish Times, do you think the editor may have been told about it? Are you, are you, I'm not trying to get you to say something you don't know. I mean, how high up do you think the Irish Times knew? I mean, some of the ads are so, they're so strange that anybody in the Irish Times would transport her concerned at risk of delivery, please demonstrate goodwill yeah. for his reassurance. I mean, that's not normal in the social and personal, I'm, or I'm, the personal column of the Irish Times. I'm sure it, it raised questions in the Irish Times that at the time as well, you know, going through the six months, um, unusual ads coming through the Irish Times 
and um, having looked at the continuity of them, I suppose they they were they were um, happy that it was a guard operation, having sorted that out from day one from the very first ad, and they didn't follow up on it afterwards. They didn't. They had no contact, as far as I know, with with the with the, with ourselves about it. Um, and I'm told that uh, on well two other things. I'm told that one of your colleagues was on one of the one of the naval ships. Tell me his story. <laughs> Well, apparently, um, he he just go back into it on the I'm, day. I'm, I was led to believe that that um, he um, he got some duty free whiskey on board, and uh, he wasn't in great shape when he when he got off the boat, and he probably wouldn't have been in great shape to effect an arrest on the high seas in the event of those people disappearing out in the speedboat. But he was one. The, he was one of the policemen who was put on one of the two naval ships. There was a, there was a, a member of the guard on each ship, and. Uh, this particular man, I won't name him. He has since passed away as well, but I won't name him. But he he enjoyed the the tour on on the naval ship and uh, was a little bit worse aware when when he when he when he disembarked in, in Dublin. And Willie says that on the day they did spot one unwelcome visitor. You saw somebody else, didn't you, rather than the the barrister? Tell me about that. Well, actually, amazing enough, um, we have we had a, a chief superintendent in in the guard headquarters. Who was a, a particular nosy individual, and um, uh, he appeared outside the Gresham as well, having a look at the mini. He he was he wasn't involved in the operational in an operational capacity and an investigation at all, but he obviously become aware of it or was told the inside track on it. But he came along and to check in that the mini was there, apart and that the suitcase was in the front because he stopped and looked into the mini as 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 he passed by as well, and we we videoed him and photographed him as well at that time. But um, he didn't question the chief superintendent. I, I was on a young guard. I, I didn't question the chief superintendent as to what he was doing there. But I brought it to the notice of my authorities that this man was there and he shouldn't have been there. But uh, it was part and parcel of that's this man's operational capacity anyway of, of of being nosy and he could have ruined the whole lot. Honestly, if he was well, if he was a well-known chief superintendent, which he wasn't at the time, if he was well-known, he would have ruined the, the whole operation on us by by. By turning up turning outside, the outside the Gresham, that's correct, yeah. But I suppose you have those in, in every in every walk of life. So after six months of this incredible saga, the gang mysteriously just seemed to melt away. No ransom was ever paid, and most importantly of all, the country was not subjected to the horrors of a foot-and-mouth outbreak and all the devastation that it would have brought. Ray McSherry, who was the Minister for Agriculture at the time, has told me that he remembers these events very well and that at the time they used all the resources of the state to make sure the threat to spread foot and mouth would not be carried out. All letters for this series were read by Brendan MacDonald and, of course, our thanks to Four Goals Willie McGee. This story is based on part of his autobiography, which will be published early next year by the Merriam Press. The series Ransom 79 was created and presented by me, Charlie Bird, and produced for the Senior Times by Connor O'Hagan. And I also want to say a special word of thanks to Simon Murtagh.